equivalent of $4.1 trillion today in the process? The United States rightly discarded offshore balancing as too costly and risky a way of defending its interests in those regions. Instead, U.S. policymakers committed the country to an onshore military presence that continues seven decades later, as well as to an ultimately successful effort to shape the internal politics and security dynamics of those areas. The United States' next foray into offshore balancing in Cold War Korea ended no more successfully. In 1950, North Korean troops, responding in part to the U.S. withdrawal from South Korea the previous year, overran nearly the entire peninsula. U.S. forces then intervened, and after some 36,000 U.S. soldiers were killed and the equivalent of $320 billion today was spent, the United States once again shifted to an onshore strategy, which has helped prevent a recurrence of the Korean War to this day. The United States' longest reliance on offshore balancing has come in the Middle East. From 1945 until 1990, and again from 2011 to 2014, the United States did make brief onshore interventions, notably in Lebanon in 1958, and again in 1982 through 84, and in Libya in 2011, but it primarily used economic aid, diplomatic support, covert intervention, and arms transfers to get major powers such as Egypt, Iran, Iraq, Israel, and Saudi Arabia to defend a favorable balance of power. Even after the Iranian Revolution knocked out a key U.S. partner, the United States stuck with offshore balancing, supporting Saddam Hussein as the price of maintaining an acceptable balance of power in the Gulf, while also developing the over-the-horizon military capabilities needed to intervene in an emergency. It ended up having to do just that in 1990, when Iraq invaded Kuwait and threatened to overrun crucial Saudi oil fields, thereby threatening the regional balance and bringing yet another experiment in offshore balancing to a bloody conclusion. The subsequent discovery of an unexpectedly advanced weapons of mass destruction program in Iraq along with concerns over the weak Gulf states' ability to balance against Baghdad on their own, convinced U.S. leaders to shift to an onshore strategy, which President George W. Bush doubled down on after the 9-11 attacks by invading Iraq. President Barack Obama's decision to withdraw from the country at the end of 2011 marked a shift back to offshore balancing in the Middle East, with the exception of Afghanistan, on the periphery of the region. But the rapid advance of the Islamic State, also known as ISIS, in 2014, convinced Obama to commit nearly 5,000 U.S. ground troops to fight ISIS in Iraq and Syria, along with thousands more operating from air bases and ships in the region. In short, when leaders have tried offshore balancing, the strategy has tended to fail in costly ways, convincing them to shift to a more forward-leaning approach. Thus, Mearsheimer and Waltz Sonny claim that, for nearly a century, offshore balancing prevented the emergence of dangerous regional hegemons and preserved a global balance of power that enhanced American security, masks a much darker reality. Offshore balancing has succeeded only if one considers World War II 
the Korean War, the Persian Gulf War, and the rise of ISIS an acceptable price for remaining offshore. If this is success, one shudders to imagine what failure might look like. Fuzzy Math Offshore balancing's costs are not limited to the wars that must be fought when regional balances collapse. There are also the costs of maintaining those balances, even when the strategy appears to be working. Offshore balancing requires the United States to become more dependent on morally bankrupt regimes, subordinating all else to the narrow real politic requirement of short-term stability. In the Middle East alone, offshore balancing tied the United States to its partnership with the ill-fated Shah of Iran during the 1970s and caused it to turn a blind eye to Saddam's domestic terror, international aggression, and widespread...